John chapter number 11. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1. If you got to say amen. amen. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he saith he to his disciples, let us go unto Judea, Again, now skipping down to verse number 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Verse number 37. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Verse number 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Hallelujah. It's not over even when it's over. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not over. Or let's correct ourselves. Let's have, a leather, let's have a little southern style church. It ain't over. Oh, you really came alive on that. It ain't over. Even when it's over. Clap your hands and give him praise. I'm ditching this. Oh, come on, somebody praise him. 
Come on, somebody, and give him glory. God bless you. You may be seated. Among all the miracles which Jesus performed in his earthly ministry, none have the magnitude and the impact as raising Lazarus from the dead. They just don't. There's some incredible miracles that Jesus performed, and we would be remiss if we left out one miracle. So I'm not even going to begin to start talking about all of the miracles because all of them are weighty and powerful. But there's something about the raising of Lazarus from the dead that is in a category all of its own. This was the last miracle that Jesus did before he was apprehended into the hands of evil men. This is the miracle in which, after it was performed, Judas was activated. And there were others that ran to the Pharisees and told them what had happened. And there was a conspiracy that was concocted by evil men to apprehend Jesus. This is not the first time that Jesus had raised somebody from the dead. You might remember in Luke chapter number 7, the widow uh, at Nain, Jesus raised her son from the dead. And then, of course, Jairus' daughter in Matthew chapter number 8 was uh, raised from the dead. But there is so much in John chapter 11. I'm already confessing this to you in advance. There's going to be some things that we're going to probably leave out, not because we want to, because of the limitations and the dictates of time. But make no mistake about it. This raising this man from the dead has more attached to it that leads into this final chapter of his earth that we want to bring forth in your hearing here today uh, regarding this amazing miracle. And the very first takeaway from this miracle that we want to talk about is the fact that God waits. God waits. Hallelujah. Human beings have a hard time waiting. This is why you can never fulfill the biblical requirements of having biblical patience until you have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? You're not, ex- you're not expected to. You're not expected to be able to generate the spiritual merits of patience until you have the empowerment from God. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that power within us gives us a blessed assurance and a confidence that God may not be there when we want him to, but he's going to be there right on time. In fact, I would like to, uh, I would like to echo this, that I don't really believe that you have come to a place of biblical and spiritual maturity 
until you come to the place of recognizing that, yes, I, co I could go ahead and do it my way and in my time. But it's spiritual experience and spiritual maturity that puts the brakes on and says, wait a minute, I know I'm being tempted right now. I could be tempted to have what I want when I want it. But ladies and gentlemen, God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. But I can tell you that when God comes through, you're going to step up another step. You're going to go down a little deeper. You're going to spring a little higher. You're going to shout a little louder. There's going to be a little bit more power. There's going to be a little bit more grace. There's going to be a little bit more wisdom. Somebody give God the praise. Hallelujah. In verses 3 and 4, praise God. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Hallelujah. There's a lot of other places in the Bible where somebody said, Jesus, somebody is sick, and Jesus was motivated. Whether it was blind man Bartimaeus, letting Jesus know I need a healing. But I want you to see what the very first indicator that this is different. Verse number four, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified. They said, I've got a need. He who thou lovest, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus said, all right, hang tight. We're not going anywhere. And Jesus made this statement, which is a famous statement, which we need to help us reshape our walk with God and gain a spiritual perspective. He said, this this man is not going to die, but this sickness, this situation is going to be for the glory of God. You might remember that there was a blind man, and, and the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, who sinned? Because we're in a culture of blame. Everybody's got to blame. We got to blame our parents. We got to blame the pastor. We got to blame the president. We got to blame our culture. Honey, God gave you power that it's now your responsibility. Quit blaming anybody and take responsibility. Well, it's the church's fault. Well, it's some, honey, why don't we just get down and pray and say, God, I need your power. I need your grace. Don't be blaming your mama. Don't be blaming the church. Some of us get into real pickles. And the first thing our mind races to find out who we can put this on so that we can transfer responsibility, responsibility onto somebody else instead of us using this as an opportunity for God to help me to grow, for me to get the victory, for me to get over the hump. Come on, somebody. For me to go.
the disciples said, Jesus, surely somebody's to blame. His parents, you know, because they were still stuck in superstition. You have to understand the basis of the Old Testament tried to get God's people to live by faith. But the reason why the book of Job is the, is the oldest book in the Bible, it was the first book written in the Bible, is because it's God's answer for superstition. Job's friends got on the scene and said, you must have done something wrong. That's why you've lost your health. You've lost your children. You've lost all your possessions. But God is in heaven looking at the devil saying, have you considered him? Look at him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In your face, devil. Come on, somebody. Come out of the bleachers and let the devil know you ain't got no strings on me. I ain't doing this for anybody but me and God. Somebody shout and give God the praise. Hallelujah. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, nobody's to blame. His mom and dad are not to blame and he's not to blame. Jesus was giving us a higher principle than the human subjective flawed view that somebody is to blame for the shape I'm in. Here is a man that was blind from birth and the disciples are saying, God must be punishing his parents because look at his child. Oh, I could preach on that a little while. Mom and dad say amen. Some of you young whippersnappers that make a mess of things, don't you dare blame your mom and dad. Mom and dad, just go, say, go ahead and say amen right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said his parents haven't sinned, and he sinned. He was born blind because now we are going to demonstrate the glory of God. Could it be that the way you were born was not a curse, but an opportunity in the 21st century for God to do the greatest miracle you ever saw? It ain't over. Some of y'all are going to have to come to church today. Clap your hands, lift your voice, give him praise, shout, worship, give him glory. Martha and Mary, no doubt, they live two miles away at Bethany. No, I'm not talking to that wonderful sister on the front row. That's actually a name of a town, Bethany. But they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Surely he'll drop everything. He loves us. He knows us. Jesus' relationship with Martha and Mary was showing that the Son of Man was purely human. And that he had human relationships. And he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The Bible says so. But when he heard that Lazarus... It's about to kick the bucket. Jesus said, don't pack your bags. We're staying right here. The disciples, for the very first time in the ministry of Jesus,
we're looking at him probably a little bit differently right now. I can't believe that Jesus is not going. It's Lazarus. It's Martha. It's Mary. They're not just anybody. They're not just a face in the crowd. These are people we know where they live. They're people that had a relationship with Jesus. They loved him. They honored him. They revered him. And Jesus said, we ain't going anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of you that are in this situation because I'm feeling it in the Holy Ghost. And I know that when God led me in this direction this morning, when this service started, I, I'm, I'm not, I might be getting some, some signals, but I'm telling you, God is right on the money. There are a lot of you under the sound of my voice that you're wondering that if God loves me, why is he letting me go through this? God is going to use your situation to get glory, to magnify himself, to allow your family to see something different, more than a denominational upbringing and just regular Christianity. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. The disciples just sat there and watched Jesus for another 48 hours. Man, I'll never forget, my, my wife and I, we'd been in Spokane maybe five or six years. We were in our second facility on Sprague Avenue. It was a little commercial storefront, 3,000 3, square foot commercial storefront. And um, my wife had gone on a field trip with the kids to a fire station. She was um, about nine or ten months before this occasion that I'm describing. She was stepping down off of a ladder, off of a fire truck, and she told me, she said, honey, I felt something snap in my hip. And I was like, okay, well, let's just pray for you. You know, that's how, that's how the husband deals with it. God in Jesus' name. We just move on. She said, honey, it hurts. It continued to hurt. It didn't go away. And finally, after, after seven, eight, nine months of this, ten months of this, she said, I'm going to go to the doctor and get an x-ray. I said, okay, that, you know, whatever it takes, go get an x-ray. She came back. <clears throat> I was reading newspapers when they were worth reading. I'll never forget. I was sitting in my living room on South Century in the Valley, and I was reading the Spokesman Review, and my wife comes in the door, and she's crying, and, and she's waving an x-ray, and she said, the doctor told me that this, that this looks like cancer to him, and I grabbed that x-ray, and I look, I it, I couldn't make head or tail. I didn't know what I was looking at. And I just rebuked that thing. I threw it on the floor. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am commanding a healing by the stripes that were placed on his body. That's right. I believed God then. And I believe God today. I never wavered on what I believed. And I believed that God was able to do an immediate healing. But would you believe that she went to another doctor and we had to go to a specialist in Seattle and the doctor looked at me in Seattle after all this battery of tests and he said, Pastor, I'm sorry, uh, but it really does look like cancer. I want to tell you, for two weeks, I prayed, I fasted, I wept, I rolled all over the floor, I stayed up nights, I prayed, I did everything I know to do and God never spoke one word to me. But after two weeks, we were in that doctor's office in Seattle and when that doctor looked at me and said, Pastor, I'm sorry, it looks like cancer, God broke the silence and said, no, it's not. 
God may not be there when you want him to, but he's getting ready to blow your mind. Well, if God don't do something, I'm out of here. Go ahead and pack your bags. Take your time clock off God. When God spoke to me, no, it's not cancer, immediately I heard the pitter-patter of somebody running down this whitewashed hallway of the Swedish hospital in downtown Seattle. And an orderly comes rushing into the office with a 3D image and said, I got here as quick as I could, Doc. Here's the 3D image. He looked at it, turned on his little thing, put the, put the x-ray on it, and he looked at it. He looked at it again, and he looked at it a third time, and he looked at me and said, you know, it doesn't look like cancer. But what would have happened if I bailed out? What would have happened if I started complaining? What would have, oh my God, I'm getting ready to preach. What would have happened if I got back on drugs? What would have happened if I head back to the bar? What would have, somebody shout with a voice. You may be seated. God is not delaying to torment you. Look at your neighbor. You, you look at her. You two guys don't even know each other. Look at each other. It's not about you. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's not about you. God is going to get him some advertisement, some publication. God's going to get a testimony out of this. God is doing it for glory. God's trying to get your family to see something. God's trying to get your name. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching the truth. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Then the doctor called me from the operating room. I'm sitting in the, wait, the waiting room with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, and I'm just pacing back and forth like a lion in a cage until I got that call and that doctor said, Pastor, we got it all, and it was 100% benign. She'll be absolutely healthy the rest of her life. I said, get me out of here. I went, I went down to the little room that says chapel on it that nobody ever goes in there. The air conditioning's on, but the chairs are empty. I got in there and got down on my face and rolled all over that floor, thanking God and giving God the praise. He may not be there when you want him, but he'll be there just on time. Fifteen minutes later, the door opened, and somebody got into one of those chairs. And I knew that because you could hear it when somebody got in that chair. It made the linoleum floor squeak. And I thought, you know, I'm not even going to quit praying and thanking God to look up and see who it is. 
They can watch and see with their own eyes a human being that God has just said exactly what he told me has just come to pass. And after about 15 minutes with tears streaming down my face, I looked up and there's a guy that's been watching the whole thing. And he said, my wife's dying of cancer. Would you pray for me in the name of He may not be there when you want him, but he's got a bigger program and he believes in you. Come on, somebody, it's not over when it looks like it's over. God's got a bigger program. God's got a bigger plan. God's got another chapter to write. Somebody shout with the voice of triumph. I had to grab this microphone here because I might need to hit the devil on the head before I get done today. You know, just give him one of those old-fashioned. And just for good measure, give him another one. I want to tell you what, every time you're faithful to God and every time you're walking according to the Word of God, you are shutting him up and get you're stepping on his head and stepping on the head of every lying devil that said she would have never made it this long. She would have never made it to Sunday. She would have never made it six months. She would have never made it. Somebody shout and say, it ain't over till it's over. And even then it ain't over. See, this was a huge lesson for me to learn. Because when you're in the world and you're on dope and you drink and you're just, you're, just, you're just going to every party that you're invited to and some you ain't invited to, you're, just, you're, just, you're constantly looking for a way out of the pressure. And it's, 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 when, when God delays for his own reason, that's putting the pressure on those voices on, in your head. And that's putting the pressure on all those people saying, well, where is he? I thought you said God was faithful. I thought you said you had the Holy Ghost. I thought you said you was in a church that believed truth. I thought you was in a church that worshiped God in spirit and truth. I thought you had the only way. I thought you had the only truth. On and on and on and on. After Lazarus had been dead, good and proper. All right, boys, get it packed up. We're moving. We're going to go pay our respects to Lazarus. And I know I'm leaving out huge gaps of this, and please forgive me, God. There are so many nuances of this story, but I'm, I'm basically giving you the spinal column of this entire story. Now, Bethany was only two miles out of town, so it didn't take them all that long to get there. But before they got there, Martha ran out to meet him and said these words. And this is what is interesting, and I'm going somewhere with this is that Martha and Mary both said the exact same thing. If you'd have been here, 
this wouldn't happen. Can you imagine somebody looking at Jesus and said, if you'd have been here, I wouldn't be in this mess? No, if the truth be known, it would be, if you'd be faithful, if you'd gain a prayer life, if you'd consecrate, if you'd dedicate, if you live the life, oh, somebody help me out right now. We want to put it on God. Brother Anderson, I'm telling you, God bless Martha and Mary, but she almost couldn't wait to get it out. There was a little bit of, there was a little bit of discourse and a little bit of conversation, but then it blurted out. You know, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Her sister said the exact same thing. It's almost like they had rehearsed it. So Jesus finally makes his way there. And there's people that have come out because this family was well loved. And there were people that were mourning. And even somebody else chimed in. You know, if Jesus had been here, we wouldn't even be having this funeral today. A funeral where the body is already in the tomb. In fact, the Bible wants us to know that he stinks. It doesn't take long for a person or anything to die. And then degeneration begins and entropy begins to take over. And it doesn't take long for things to start stinking. Your stink is not going to stop Jesus. never talks about the odor. Jesus never talks about any of this. The one thing that he did talk about in verse number 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, this is where I believe you have an advantage when you have the Holy Ghost because denominational commentators will tell you that the shortest verse in the Bible is where it says that Jesus wept. Everybody was echoing their sentiments about Lazarus. Others had mentioned that if Jesus was there, we wouldn't, this wouldn't be happening. And some of them even said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even that this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning. Every time somebody says, if Jesus had been here, he groaned. And the Bible said, let me get the right verse here because I want you to see this. Verse number 35, Brother Nathaniel, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The very next verse, verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. That is not why Jesus wept, and that is not why Jesus groaned. 
Jesus was not groaning because he saw people mourning, because he saw, yeah, let, me, let me tell you something. When God created the worlds, he created the end of the beginning, which means he created from the end and created backwards, which means God already knows the ending of this. Jesus already knew the end result of this situation was Lazarus. And so he was not weeping because everybody else was weeping. I believe that Jesus finally did start weeping because he understood the glory that was about to be manifested in the contrast of abject human unbelief. You might remember where Jesus said when he rejoiced in spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, that this has not revealed this to just anybody. Jesus understood that what is about to happen is going to be so glorious. And that's why I believe that he was weeping. It was not tears of remorse. It was tears of joy and glory. Because he's looking at this, uh, this environment. Everybody, everybody's drinking lemonade and it's boo-hooing and they're crying. And under everybody's breath, if Jesus had been here, this would have never happened. Almost blaming, looking for somebody. And, and Jesus is listening. And every time, every time that arrow hits him, he winces. He groans. He groans because he understands in his spirit. Father, they forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't understand why you did this. They don't understand what's about to happen. They don't understand why you allowed them to lose their job because God's got a better job for you on the other side of town and it hasn't been made available yet. My God, I'm just now starting to preach. Some of you that have been around a little while, you already understand what I'm preaching. You already understand how this works. That if one door closes, God's got a greater door. God's got a greater blessing. God, If you haven't learned that yet, that's why you're about all it would take is a puff of air. Because you've never learned the maturity that if God closes one door, he's got a greater door. If God doesn't allow this, or if God does allow this, I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to stay at home. I'm not going to backslide and stay out of church. It is an act of maturity when you realize, I'm hanging on. God is greater. God. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. never will forget a man telling me one time when he started coming to this church saying pastor I'm glad to be here but I probably ain't going to be able to get a good job because I got this this and this on my record That's a real dark cloud to live under. But would you believe that we had a Holy Ghost service and I went back under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and I looked at that man and I said, this is exactly what is going to happen to you. And would you believe that same man today is a supervisor? If you were to ask him, 
He would say exactly what the pastor told me is exactly what God did. When God gets involved, you can cry buckets in an apartment, but God's going to give you a house on the hill. You might be taking the bus to work, but God's going to get you a company vehicle. Somebody, I'm telling you, I've been doing this. I'm telling you, I'm telling It is maturity that you learn that it ain't over when it looks like it's over. Somebody said, man, it ain't over till the large lady sings. You know I'm not going to say that in this church, aren't you? That'd be the, you know, all I've been doing during this pandemic is eating. So you know I ain't going to say nothing about somebody real large singing a song. But I'm here to tell you that it ain't over even when it looks like it's over. God, Jesus was weeping because he knew in the back of his mind that everybody's moaning and groaning and everybody's complaining that I wasn't here and everybody's complaining that he's dead. Everybody's complaining about the smell. But God is getting ready to turn this thing around. Let's go ahead and praise him. Come on, somebody. You might be in a single wide today, but God sees you in a house on the hill. You might be living in the back seat of your car, but God's looking down the road and saying, I can do all things well. The last Miracle before he is apprehended because he wants to sign off and leave the human race with great hope of how he's getting ready to work. Takeaway number two. God will only do his part after you've done your part. He that created the worlds is asking me to move a rock? Oh, yeah, see how you are? You want God to do everything. That ain't the way God works. God going to make sure that, that you get a little bit of dirt on your knees. God wants to make sure you do a little bit of praying. God wants to make sure he's got some. God never works without a corresponding human being that's working with him in a situation, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Isaac, whether it's Jacob, whether it's Joseph, whether it's Moses. God's got to have somebody that's in the game with him. Clap your hands and give him praise. I got a, I got a man and woman in Spokane. They ain't got nothing. They they ain't got a house. They ain't even got a church. But God's looking down the road saying it's not going to be this way forever. God's got a young couple over there in Auburn. But he sees down the road and saying there's going to be revival all over the land. It is an immature, fleshly believer that throws in the towel when they don't get their way. 
because they don't understand that God is using their predicament to get glory, to get some advertisement, to get some media coverage. Roll away the stone. You know, some of you would get a miracle here today if you could move the hard things out of the way. You know, some of you just got real honest about those big rocks and those big stones and that big obdurant material, those attitudes you got that, that you only get so far in God every service. Roll away the stone! You know what? I'm going to go to church today. I'm not going to worry about any attitudes. I'm not going to worry about what the devil's telling me. I'm not going to worry about how my, either good my kid's doing or, or what my kids are doing. I'm going to get this miracle for me. I'm going to get this miracle for my family. I'm going to get this miracle for everybody. I'm going to say, God, here I am. I'm an open book. I'm nobody. I'm humble. I'm drawing not you. God, do whatsoever you please. Clap your hands and give God the praise. got to move the hard things, the bitterness, the rocks. Well, if God loved me, he'd move this rock out of my heart. No. No, God's fixing to do his part. He just wants to make sure you're going to do your part. And God is not asking us to do something we cannot do. The very part of your life that needs a miracle today is covered. I'm trying to follow the Holy Ghost. I just get direction from God in the morning or in the, in the evening before when I pray, and then God fills all the blanks in when we finally get there. Some of the hard things that we've been through, some of the things that have molded and shaped our, our cynicism, and, and I'm not saying you're a horrible person, you're not. But all of us, it's easy for all of us to be rock collectors. Instead of a garden that flourishes with fruit, it's a rock garden. I never did like rock garden. Hey, man, look at that. It's a rock garden. Eh, big deal. Nothing lives there except horn-toed lizards and God ain't into rock gardens. If somehow we could just reach down and roll away that stone, let's lift our hands this afternoon. And I'm not here to accuse you. I'm your servant today. But unless things can be addressed and things can be touched, we need direction. Maybe you went through a painful divorce. Maybe you were left high and dry. Maybe you were the subject of abuse. Maybe, maybe people talked about you and you walked with a limp. Maybe, maybe you messed up and you don't seem like you can ever get beyond the shadow of it. And, it. and it's made your heart hard and cold. They rolled away the stone. Jesus said, Lazarus, 
come forth. Now, you got to understand, there's people standing out on the perimeter of this that are thinking, this is a joke. This guy stinks. He's dead. I was here when he died. I've been here crying for four days. And Lazarus does the bunny hop. Because his hands... His feet and his face is covered. You have to understand that archaic civilizations always used to bury their dead by binding their hands and their feet, much like the mummification. The Egyptians took it to another level because they believed that they that were mummified were moving to the next dimension. But all these cultures used long, thin pieces of cloth that they bound his hands together. And they bound his feet together. And there was a handkerchief or a piece of linen that was over his face. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Number three. God will do the miraculous. But it's going to take the involvement of your brothers and sisters. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. You ain't going to find this in a psych ward. You ain't going to find this at a worldly counselor. You're not going to find this at a therapist. When God sets you free, it's going to take a, co a collaborative effort of your brothers and sisters. Come on, let's give God the praise. It ain't over when it's over. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever did in his earthly ministry. And he never even touched a person. He got others to work with him. I wonder when people, after God already does the miracle, they're still, they're still not free. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus healed a man of blindness, they had to lead him out of the place where he was because of the spirit. It wasn't just unbelief. There was a spiritual atmosphere of unbelief that was there. They had to lead him out of the city. Maybe you're living with people that are unbelievers, and, that, and you're communicating with people that are unbelievers. Oftentimes, you have to get away. You have to, you have to get free from the negative. Oh, I'm preaching right now. It may, I might not be screaming, but I'm preaching right now. You got to get away from the negativity. You got to get away from people that are uh, that don't understand the word of God. I'm not talking about rejecting them. I'm not talking about leaving them forever. I'm talking about getting into an environment where where Jesus can say, "I'm going to do something completely unorthodox." Jesus took dirt and he spit. He spit in the dirt and he made little mud packs and he packed them into the man's eyes. And he said, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when the man came back, I'm telling you, when Jesus does it, it ain't going to be a way that you think. It ain't going to be like anybody else. It's going to be your miracle. It's going to be your powerful thing. It's going to be your testimony. But God's got to lead you out before he can do the miracle. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Jesus, you can put mud in my eyes. You can put mud in my face. You can do anything you want to do. But I want to see all men clearly.
one of the greatest miracles that's needed. And the reason why that miracle was so notable is because Jesus touched him the first time. And he said, what do you see? And he said, he said, I see men as trees walking. It was an individual that had walked in a certain dimension of low self-esteem, had absolutely no sense of self, had absolutely no, you're okay, I'm okay. No, 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 no. Men were like trees walking. And Jesus said, all right, you need another adjustment. Ladies and gentlemen, people need a second deliverance where you can be loosed and let go. It's not good enough that I'm not in the grave. It's not good enough that I've come out of the dead. It's not good enough that I've been resurrected. I want to be loose. I want to be let go. I want to run. I want to shout. I want to sing. I want joy. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Takeaway number three, you're never going to get everything without the involvement of God's people. You want to know why I'm so excited about church and why my perception of this group of people is like way up here? Because the church that I got saved in, it was the perfect environment. Yes, they had the word. Yes, they had the spirit. Yes, they had the doctrine. Yes, they had separation. Everybody's got that. But there was an environment which God could bring it all together. And the people could be role models. And the people could be example. And the people could lay hands on you. And the people could love on you. And the people could bring about a healing. And people could bring about a deliverance. And people could take off the grave cloth. And people could... Loose him and let him go. Come on. I'm going to get free today. I'm not going to walk with a hang-up. I'm not going to walk with a limp. I'm not going to somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Let's just praise the Lord. Somebody just praise him. God's going to wait Till you're in a situation where you cannot get out of it. It don't matter how many credit cards you got. It doesn't matter how many relatives you got. It don't matter how many phone numbers you got. God is in control. You didn't even hear about Lazarus before John chapter 11. After he's loosed and let go, he's right at the table with Jesus. He's like winning people to God. He's like a brand new creature. He's lit up like a light bulb. He's lit up in front of Jews. He's lit up in front of his family. He's lit up in front of everybody. A totally different Lazarus emerged from that tomb and was loosed and let go. How many people are here that feel the Holy Ghost? They feel that they've been resurrected, but you're still bound. You can't lift your hands. You can't lift your voice. You can't do anything with your feet, but you're not in that tomb any longer. I want to tell you, Cornerstone will forever be 
as long as I am the pastor and the influencing spiritual practitioner. This is going to be a church that loves people. Somebody made the accusation that this church is prejudiced. we got 13 cultures here. This church is not prejudiced. If we're prejudiced against anything, it's prejudiced against the devil. And it's prejudiced against sin. And it's prejudiced against sickness. Because God's got the answer to everything. You're home. You're home today. You're among a group of people that will see you go to the next level and go to the next dimension. Clap your hands and give him the praise. It ain't over. Even when it looks like it's over. You don't get anything more over than a funeral. You don't get anything over more done and complete, nada, than when people are already singing a funeral procession and they're moaning and groaning. Some of them were professional paid mourners and they're already mourning the demise and the burial of our dear beloved Lazarus. I've seen people over the last 30 years they make one mistake, and they think, I'm done. The devil's got the ball, and I'm out of bounds, and I'm done. Says who? Was Abraham and Sarah done? When they produced an Ishmael, was King David done? When he committed adultery and had a man killed? No, the angel showed up in Luke chapter 1 and said, someone's going to sit on the throne of David. Was Abraham and Sarah done? No, the angel showed up and said, it's time for Isaac to get here. I'm trying to tell you it ain't over. It ain't over when your neighbors say it's done. It ain't over when your parents say it's done. It ain't over when your boss says it's done. It ain't over when the world says you're done. It ain't over. Clap your hands and give God the glory. It ain't over. I'm trying to preach to somebody. I'm trying to preach chains off you. I'm trying to preach grave clothes off you. I'm trying to preach the stench off you. I'm trying to. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. You know what happens? Elder, I want to tell you, I know this stuff happens because I've been through this. God will give you a promise. You went out and did the most horrible, stupid thing a person could do. And there's a whole battalion of devils just uh, cracking their knuckles saying, this is just what we was waiting on. You hear this, preacher. The minute you repent, God's not on some lofty, distant cloud somewhere uncaring about us. God's right where his child is that needs him. I rebuke the false theology and ideology that we serve a mean, small God. 
I'm going to tell you what. You can just listen if you want. I'm just going to preach a little while. I, I've made my share of mistakes, and when I fly in my place of repentance, the first thing the Spirit of God does is God points me in a fresh direction and gives me a direction of hope. You were never made for the bottom. You were never made for this. You were not. Come on, somebody. I'm tr- It ain't over even when you mess up. It ain't over when you make wrong choices. It ain't over even when you backslide. It ain't over even when you walk away. It ain't over if you haven't been here in a while. It ain't over if you don't even know what this is. It ain't over. It ain't over. It ain't over. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Confessed something to me long ago. And I just know how the devil works. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 about the man that they put out of the church in 1 Corinthians 5 that was commonly reported that fornication is being committed among you and a man, uh, a man that had desired his son's wife. Paul said, put the guy out. Well, in 2 Corinthians, the guy came back to the church and repented. And Paul said, get the guy back in the church, for we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. The longer somebody remains unrestored, outside of our grasp, outside of a hug, outside of a, hey, I love you, brother, outside of a welcome home, the devil's working. Can't go back to that church because the devil will show him particular faces in the audience. And he'll put those, he knows how to put those imaginations in a person's mind saying they don't like you. They're talking about you. They're gossiping about you, hoping to keep you away from the church. I condemn that lying devil, but I'm here to outdo it. I'm here to undo it. I'm here to go beyond. I'm here to. You're in a safe house. You're in a safe place. You're in a good place. All right. I'm almost done. 65 years old. My battery's almost done. I'm like one of those ever-ready bunnies. I'm on about 2% right now, but i got to preach this. Because there's people that walk in and out of this building, and you know that God has resurrected you. You know that God brought you out of a tomb, but you still feel bound. And I'm going to tell you why. That's because it takes people. It takes the interaction of a brother. It takes the interaction of a sister. Years ago, there was somebody came up to me and confessed some hideous, horrible thing. And I said, you see that pee right there? They said, yeah. I said, sit down. And they obeyed the pastor. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly where I was at, and I know exactly where I'm at right now. A couple months went by. That person was sitting exactly where I pointed and told him. I said, you, get up here and start singing. I said, me? Yeah. You're not eternally going to hell. You're not going to have that cloud over your head forever. You're restored. We cut his hands loose. We cut his feet loose. We cut his mouth loose. 
Shout unto God with a voice. Somebody lift your voice and give God the praise. It ain't over. I need the musicians to come right now. Ryan, are you wearing tennis shoes in church? No. Oh, those are kind of nice. Look like golf shoes. Hallelujah. Man, I don't like that pastor. He just does okay. Listen, I came here 26 years ago. I'm not much cultured, not much more cultured than I was when I got here. I'm not suave. I'm not didn't go to a manor school and learn how you know how you doing you know, all this stuff. Devil said I'm not sending like somebody like that to Spokane because we got to have revival. I got to have somebody there that is into breaking chains. I got to have somebody that's going after the devil. I got to have somebody that's able to preach it and break open a prison house and see somebody. The way that I understand this book, and I'm closing, the way that I understand this book, a human being could almost just about commit anything for any amount of time. And if you were still able to find a place of repentance, it would be washed in the sea of forgiveness. Let's lift our hands. I've come to this place to preach. It ain't over. Even when the voices of your world and your head are telling you you're through, you're done, you ain't got a call, you ain't got a response, you ain't got nothing, I rebuke that lying voice. Come on, lift your hands and let's pray right now. And while we're praying, I want to open up this altar right now. There's many. I need the brethren to help me pray because there's a lot of people here today that we need to put hands on you. And we need to loose you and let you go. Come on, this altar's open by the authority of the name of Jesus. Come on, this is your altar call. That was God that spoke to you in the beginning. He was giving you direction for your life. Come on, this altar's open. Church, I need you to help me. There's so many people that need prayer here today. Come on, this altar's open. Come. Come from the east and come from the west. And come from the south and come from the north. God's got the second dimension of deliverance. It's now to loose you and to let you go.
There is deliverance in this house. There is a total liberation here today.
over this building the holy ghost is beginning to get into the psyche the inner sanctum of a person's thoughts their soul their heart it takes a little while to get beyond that rock roll away the stone and let god begin to talk to you and let god begin to address you Thank you. 